It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. white team versus an all-black team in the NFL. Two, what's going on with Senator John Fetterman? He's surprisingly sane. Three, reconciliation is as American as apple pie. It's the Will Kane Podcast on Fox News Podcast. What's up? And welcome to Wednesday. As always, I hope you will download, rate, and review this podcast wherever you get your audio entertainment at Apple, Spotify, or at Fox News Podcast. You can watch the Will Kane Podcast on Rumble or on YouTube and follow me on X at Will Kane. Just a few more days, approximately two more weeks of gluttony. Every day for the past month has been a day where I've woken up and said tomorrow. I'm going to get my act together. Tomorrow, I'm going to stop eating sugar. Tomorrow, I'm going to quit drinking. Tomorrow, I'm going to get it right. And the truth is, the only thing I've been able to get right over the past month is quitting nicotine. And because I consider our relationship valuable, I probably owe you some honesty that yesterday I was not exactly good with nicotine. Last week at a a holiday party, I I had uh, a zen, having drinks with old buddies up till 1 a.m. A bit of a reconciliation with a lifelong friend. Might as well rip the top off. Might as well rip the lid off. And I said to myself, it's just one. It's going to be fine. And it was fine. And then earlier this week, I did something that I've been wanting to do for quite some time. I just drove. I drove, I had a day where I didn't have to be anywhere, and I just drove. I took my dog, I took my truck, and I probably drove for 10 hours all around one of my favorite areas of the country, just west of where I grew up. It's Montague County, Cook County, Texas, one of the coolest little towns that you're ever going to see, St. Joe, Texas, up into Oklahoma, Love County, Oklahoma. I was scouting. I was scouting for land. I was scouting for duck hunting. And when you're in a car that long, listening to that much country music, driving that far, getting out on Caliche Rock roads, kicking dirt, running around with your dog in the country, you're going to end up, okay? You're going to end up with some nicotine in your mouth. And so I did. I stopped at a Mart and I bought myself a can of Zen and I burned through half that can in one day. And guess what? I haven't had one since. So maybe the mark of a true quitter is somebody that can take it up without falling back down the rabbit hole and staying quit. You know? Now I know. I can do it and not fall down the well. Now I do it. And not present tense. I've not made it a new habit. But now maybe I know. Maybe I can dabble. Maybe it's not verboten. I don't intend to I don't intend to push my luck. Remember that game show from like the 80s and 90s? Press your luck. No whammies, no whammies. I don't 
intend to press my luck because I think there will be whammies. But in two weeks, I'm cleaning my act up altogether. I think it was last year together we did 75 hard. I may have to do something like 75 hard in January. I'm not exercising. I'm not eating right. And I'm going to be honest with you. I'm enjoying the gluttony. I am. I enjoy your peanut brittle. Thank you. I'm enjoying all these cakes and cookies. Thank you. And I'm going to enjoy that beef wellington. A little bit of Omaha steak filet mignon, which you can get at Omaha Steaks. Promo code Kane, C-A-I-N, 50% off. Hit it. Hit it. Hammer that Omaha Steaks. Get yourself a beef wellington. Cover it in, I think pate is better than mushrooms. And then a nice flaky pie crust for beef wellington on Christmas Eve. Going to hammer it. Going to hammer that promo code Kane. Going to hammer that beef wellington. Going to hammer your peanut brittle and your cookies for two more weeks. And I'm not going to clean my act up before New Year. I'm not even going to pretend to, and you aren't either, and we both know that. Because there's going to be a lot of that stuff floating around the house for the week after Christmas, and somebody's got to clean it up. Somebody's going to have to eat it. And it goes nice with a whiskey. So two more weeks. Beginning of January. Give up the gluttony. Going to get right. I don't know if I'm going to do 75 hard, but I'm going to get right. We're going to become monkish, monastic. We're going to become maniacal about health and exercise together, you and me, next year, starting in January. Over the last two weeks here of 2023, we're going to go over some of my top five lists of favorite songs, favorite movies, favorite moments, favorite news events of the year. I'm going to share with you last year's New Year's resolutions, where I succeeded and where I failed. And by the time we turn the page to 2024, I'm going to give you an exhaustive list of New Year's resolutions that maybe we can embark on together here on the Will Cain podcast in 2024. But two more weeks till we give it up in just 10 more seconds until we start this episode of the Will Cain podcast with story number one. We'll be right back with more of the Will Cain Podcast. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Story number one. <laughs> Former Pittsburgh Steelers running back Rashard Mendenhall took to Twitter the other day and upset about some of the criticism floating around about NFL players, no doubt a projection from some of the criticism he received during his playing days. Mendenhall tweeted the following. I'm sick of average white guys commenting on football. Y'all not even good at football. Can we please replace the pro bowl with an all black versus all white bowl? So these cats can stop trying to teach me who's good at football. I'm better than your goat. I don't know what he means by I'm better than your goat. You're misspelled. You are. Is he saying he's better at football than Tom Brady? Is he saying that there's no white football player better than an average to below average black football player? I don't know what he means when he says I'm better than your goat. I see you, Richard Mendenhall, and I raise you, Tom Brady. But this caused 
a great amount of outrage. Look at this blatant racism. What if the roles were reversed? What if white players suggested such a thing? And they're all true. Our friend Bobby Burak over at Outkick.com pointed out how there's so many commentators out there who willingly discuss racism whenever they have a moment, a chance. But when it's done here by Richard Mendenhall, crickets, silence. And he's right. And it does deserve some outrage. It's absurd segregational racism on its face proposed for the NFL, which is comedy. And it's more fun laughing than outrage. So I want to take up J.J. Watt, white, probable Hall of Fame, defensive end for the Houston Texans, who said he wanted to take up Richard Mendenhall's proposition for an all-white versus all-black Pro Bowl. And he said that we're going to get cooked at corner, not going to lie. Nobody in our squad is covering Tyreek Hill of the Miami Dolphins. And Watt's absolutely right, but I would say in response to that, nobody black covers Tyreek Hill either. And we're going to have problems at defensive back. It's the one positional group that we actually are going to have problems. Will Compton, former NFL player, works for Barstool. White, former NFLer, he did a hilarious video on X where he laid out the teams and he said pretty confidently, I think the white team's going to be able to compete with the black team. His lineup looks something like this for the white team. Quarterback Josh Allen, Buffalo Bills, or Joe Burrow, Cincinnati Bengals. Great. Great. Who's going to start for the all-black team? Lamar Jackson? Running back, Christian McCaffrey. Awesome, best running back in the NFL. Fullback, owned by white dudes. Kyle Juszczyk. Tight end, dominated by white dudes. Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews, Jake Ferguson, TJ Hawkinson, George Kittle, Trey McBride. Tight ends, dominated by the all-whites. Offensive line is going to be fine. Quentin Nelson, Zach Martin, Creed Humphrey. The tackles, you got Lane Johnson, David Bakhtari, Colton Miller. Good in offensive line. You knew that. Defensive line, defensive end, solid. You got the Bosa brothers and the Watt brothers. Joey and Nick, TJ and bring back JJ. Max Crosby of the Raiders. Trey Hendrickson. You're, you're, Good, you're stacked, and you're going to need to be because defensive line, defensive tackle, it's a little bit tougher. Harrison Phillips, I guess. Brian Breesey, the New Orleans Saints from Clemson. Linebackers, there's always some white linebackers floating around. Logan Wilson, uh, Leighton Vander Esch is hurt. But there's guys. There's guys at linebacker. The two positional groups that are problems are defensive back and wide receiver. But on the wide receiver side, you do have Cooper Cup, who last year, just last year, was a stud. It's hard to get, you know, much deeper because you're probably dropping off like Adam Thielen, who's old. But, you know, it's not going to compare to Tyree Kill and Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase and CeeDee Lamb. The all-black team's wide receiver position is just going to be a problem, especially when you consider on the defensive backside, the all-white team is really, I mean, where do you go? Where do you, Jason Seahorn's too old to call back. I don't even know. Will Compton on his 
breaking down breaking it down on X said you got to have Christian McCaffrey play both ways. And I think there's some white dudes rolling around out there on different teams. None of them have names that I can pull out of a hat. But the point is, they're not going to do well when matched up against Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson and Tyreek Hill and C.D. Lamb. But Compton said, hey, we're going to run zone scheme. It's not going to come down to speed. And by the way, the all-white team owns special teams. Owns special teams. Kicker, punter, long snapper. I mean, if this comes down to a field goal, we got a close game here. It's going to be a problem for the all-black team. But the point is, you can have fun with this, and you should have fun with this. Somebody said to J.J. Watt in response to him joking about who's going to cover Tyreek Hill, he said, ignoring the blatant racism, God forbid a white guy stand up for himself. And J.J. Watt did have a good response. He said, buddy, listen, we don't need to be offended by everything in the entire world. He said white guys can't play football. I thought to myself, I'm a white guy. I'm very good at football, and concluded that his statement had no validity. Instead of arguing, I had some fun. End. And J.J. Watt's right. I mean, I want to have fun. I also want to point out the absurdity of Rashard Mendenhall's statement, okay? Or just even, we can go a step farther and go, yes, look at the blatant, on-its-face racism. And you want to know the best illustration of the racism? It's by the names I didn't say. Who does Tua Tonga-Vailoa play for? How about Puka Nakua, the wide receiver for the Los Angeles Rams? What do you do with the Pacific Islanders? Will Compton's with suggestions if you can use the bad word or not use the bad word, says which side of the teams you can go to. Don't think the Islanders can use the bad word. So I guess they're on the all-white team. But the, again, we're still having fun making light of this over-hyper-racialized society that is devolving into neo-segregation to the point where what is worse are the names I couldn't mention or didn't mention because how does it even fit? Who does Dak Prescott, if he were to get drafted, he's not. He was having an MVP season. And I understand. I saw your notes. You think I'm like Lucy with the football. The minute I say he's an MVP candidate, he does what he did against the Bills. The entire team did what they did against the Bills. And yes, I've been silent about that largely. I just wanted that game to end. And yes, Dak Prescott is Lucy with the football to my Linus or Charlie Brown. It was Charlie Brown. Was it Linus? I don't know. I, honestly, I never really even liked Peanuts. I like Peanuts. I didn't like the cartoon Peanuts. I like all nuts, by the way. Almonds, cashews, peanuts, pistachios. You can keep the Brazil nuts. But pretty much outside that, I'll have the pecans. That's another nice thing about Christmas gluttony. Nuts. Is that a, is that a s- southern thing or a Texas thing? Nuts, specifically pecans, oranges in the stocking. Thank you. But where does Dak Prescott play? Does he play for the black team or the white team? How about Patrick Mahomes? Pretty sure he's going to want to get drafted. They're going to, some team's going to want Patrick Mahomes. What, is he black or is he white? What do you do? It's just the absurdity of breaking things down into this world. And look, maybe Richard Mendehal has CD, CTE. I don't know. Or is he going to nominate himself as the dictator of race? Are we going to go back to segregationist policies of one drop? I don't even know what that means, by the way. It's just... We can have fun. We can put out the racism. And we can use Richard Mendenhall as a moment to just go, look how stupid all this ends up being so fast. We're going to step aside here for a moment. Stay tuned. I'm Benjamin Hall, Fox News correspondent and New York Times bestselling author. Join me for my brand new podcast, Searching for Heroes. Make sure you subscribe to this series wherever you download podcasts and leave a rating and review. Story number two. What's going on with Senator John Fetterman of Pennsylvania? 
Democrat, unpredictable, sane, interesting. Senator John Fetterman, who ran as the sloth, who ran, who wears gym shorts and hoodies, who suffered a stroke and couldn't articulate much of anything, seems to have had a pretty miraculous recovery from his stroke. He's re-found his ability to speak, articulation. But that's not the surprising thing. It's what he's saying now that he can say things that is getting people's attention. As opposed to many in the, on the left in the Democratic Party, he's been a staunch supporter of Israel. People thought he was like the male member of the squad. But he's broken from those women when it comes to support for Hamas versus Israel. He's staunchly supporting Israel. He has said illegal immigration is a big problem and something that needs to be addressed and hurts Pennsylvanians. When The View tried to joke with John Fetterman about George Santos, you know, the cartoonish Republican congressman who's been expelled, he said, yeah, but look, the things that Santos did were kind of silly. We've got a Democrat senator, Bob Menendez, Goldbar Menendez, who's a senator from Egypt, more so than New Jersey. He's taken bribes and he's been busted. He's calling for consistency and accountability. And his latest thing is he's blocked the sale of U.S. promises to block the sale of U.S. steel to Nippon Steel of Japan. Whether or not it's protecting American jobs, being more trade protectionist, immigration, Israel, logical consistency. Fetterman is surprising and interesting and not who we thought he was, not the progressive member of the squad. So what's going on? With John Fetterman. Thought I'd break it down with former congressman from Wisconsin, the host of The Bottom Line on Fox Business, my friend, Sean Duffy. Sean Duffy, what's up, man? You are the perfect person to answer this question. Support for Israel, denial of the sale of an American company to Japan, interest in increasing security along the southern border. What's going on with Senator John Fetterman? Let's call in, uh, call in out Bob Menendez, Gold Bar Bob as well. He shouldn't be in the Senate. One more thing. Uh, listen, it's, it's interesting because I, I think what's happened over the course of the last, you know, maybe eight years, 10 years, we've seen Democrats only really be these far left wing radical Democrats. Um, this kind of feels like it's more in the mold of a Bill Clinton-esque kind of Democrat right now where he's actually doing what he thinks is right. He's he's not a conservative. He's he's not a MAGA Republican. He's just a he's a Democrat who's trying to make some some sense out of the 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 craziness that we find right now in our world. I mean, I think again the the the, the southern border, eighty percent of Americans look at the southern border and think it's a huge problem. And it's refreshing that Fetterman will look at it as well and go, hey. This is a problem. We should probably come together and try to fix it. I'm not opposed to immigration. I, I'm not a, I, and I don't want, you know, numbers that Republicans want for immigration. I'm not, I'm not that low, but what's happening at our southern border is unacceptable, untenable, and we should work together to fix it. Wow. Isn't that great? We can, we can talk about taxes. We could talk about abortion. There's all kinds of issues we can talk about, but as Americans, this one probably makes sense we should, that we should fix. You know, Sean, when I looked through the different issues where Fetterman has surprised, you're right. Listening to a Democrat take a bit more hawkish tone on immigration wouldn't have been a surprise in the 1990s. Listening to a Democrat be interested in job protection and trade protection would have seemed like a core component in the 1980s. For a Democrat to support Israel 
was really par for the course for most of the last half century. The only real surprise would be the one where Fetterman, to your point, was interested in some logical consistency when it came to George Santos and Bob Menendez, because it doesn't matter if you're center or far left, hypocrisy is never the greatest sin. Protect the team. So that's the only one that really was surprising. The rest of the positions are what used to be normal Democrats. So I feel like the reaction to John Fetterman says less about him and just more about the movement of the greater Democrat Party. More about the party as a whole. That's right. And and the and the part. I mean, someone you know, a lot of people have this conversation. Well, and like, I'll say the the Republican Party has become so extreme. I'm like, really? I, in, in, go back to Ronald Reagan. What's really changed on issues that Republicans care about? What taxes? Um, they 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 they've changed on maybe building a wall at the southern border because of Donald Trump. They've talked about you know now there were free traders at all expense, and now they're like, well, maybe we should have some tariffs on countries that don't. Um, you know, that don't treat us well or our business as well. But beyond that, it's the same issues. They're still pro-life. They they still want less government. Um, it's Democrats who have moved so ex- to, to, the, to, to such extremes right now, whether it's on crime or on, you know, transgender issues or gay issues or border issues. Um, and so, yeah, and I think this is, a, is it's one of these examples where he is a standard traditional Democrat that um, would get elected in the 1990s, kind of in the mold of a, of a Bill Clinton. Um, and uh, you know, we also can't forget this, Will. I mean, the, Pennsylvania is a purple state. And Fetterman is not a wallflower by any stretch. You can be, you know, kind of a progressive liberal. Tammy Baldwin from Wisconsin, uh, she, she's, a, she's a, a voting record of a left-wing radical. But she doesn't, you know, she, she doesn't get a lot of press. You probably don't even know her name. People don't know who she is. People know Fetterman, and in a purple uh, state like Pennsylvania, to kind of walk this unique line, I think, is is very interesting. And when you come, I know he, he comes from money, but he was a mayor of a of a kind of a working class community. And if you have friends and uh, in those communities, and you go to a bar in that community, and go to church or go to eat in that community, they'll tell you what they think. Um, yeah, we should we should protect American jobs. We should. You know, not have a foreign country buy our uh, our steel mill. It should be American owned, and I think he gets a strong dose of that where he lives, um, and probably the people he has a beer with when he goes out on a Friday night. We're trying to make sense of John Fetterman. I think we're making um, headway into understanding a man who we thought was the male representative of the squad at some point. But I think we need to take just a moment to say this as well. You know. It sounds cheap, but it's true. It sounds cheap because he's saying things that you and I might be more sympathetic toward, but he's also becoming at the same time, Sean, more coherent. Like he's he's making sense. I don't just mean with the content of what he has to say, but the the quality, his ability to articulate what he has to say. He seems to be recovering from the stroke. That's and right. The, the- there are people who are saying, oh, maybe you should feel bad for anything you might have said. To that, I say, I don't, because th- there there was no guarantee that John Fetterman was going to regain his both his articulation, but also the clarity of his thinking. And I don't think we could all become doctors and go, well, we should extend some grace period during his stroke for his recovery. Some people never recover. But I, I think the point is, well, I don't think I should or you should or anyone should have any great regrets that this man, when he was fairly incapacitated, was voted in in Pennsylvania. We do need to give credit to what seems to be a miraculous recovery in John Fetterman. 
And you, you you make a great point. If you if you listen to his speech now compared to four months ago, even even that uh, difference in time, it is it is remarkable the recovery that he's had. Um, and and I think it's interesting, Will. So so Democrats are are always, you know, they 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 stick really close together. You know, you don't get too many people going too far away from from their center. Um, you see more Republicans do it, whether it was John McCain, oh, they loved him, oh, he's a maverick, or Susan Collins. They vote far more left than Democrats do to the right. Fetterman has been an example um, of of one of those Democrats, uh, not many, uh, from West Virginia, our Senator uh, Manchin, another. But there's, they don't have that many over the course of the, uh, of the last 10, 15 years that actually stray away from that, that, that center focus that the party has on issues. And Fetterman has been one. And uh, again, we're supposed to celebrate Republicans who vote Democrat. Uh, well, you know what? I'm gonna, I don't like that. But I'm going to celebrate a, a, a Democrat who's going to vote with some common sense on issues that truly affect the country. It's, 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 it's pretty cool. I think, do, do, I don't know what you think, Will, about this. this the, the, the U.S. steel issue, it, I kind of, I get torn both ways on that. And I don't, I don't know if it's a Republican issue or a Democrat issue. I'm a free enterprise guy. And if someone comes in from Japan and, and offers more than an American country was going to offer, a company was going to offer, I'm like, that's, that's free enterprise kind of at its finest. And shouldn't we let the highest bidder win? But I also want those, the, 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 the jobs are going to stay in America, but I also want the companies owned in America too. And I'm kind of, I've been, I've been torn. And so I don't know how I would even come down on this. As long as it wasn't China, that would be really clear for me. But, you know, Fetterman obviously has taken a, it's Pennsylvania, right? It's, I mean, he's, he's in the heart of steel. I don't know what you think about, you know, what he's saying and what we should actually do. You know, to be if I, if I'm being completely honest, like you, I'm torn because I believe in free enterprise, and I and I actually I believe in the value of the shareholder. A shareholder is simply a property owner. There's someone who has invested some of their time and their hard earnings into owning something, and it's just fractional ownership when you're talking about stock. And the reason that somebody owns something is for the prospect of investment return. And so, if you're a shareholder of U.S. Steel today, which it spiked 25 percent after news that it was going to be bought by Nippon steel. Um, you're probably wondering why this senator is blocking, you know, the, your return on investment. But I, I'm I'm torn. You know, I don't think there's any reason to believe that that the Japanese steel company was going to lay off American workers. They said they were going to leave the the headquarters in Pittsburgh. So I don't know what kind of threat it represented to American workers. But I do think there's critical resources and critical co- companies that, in the abstract, Sean. I do like in the hands of Americans. I do like in the hands of American ownership, but that's where I'm torn. Because at the same time, I think American investors should also be able to reap the benefits of their investment. And 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 again, I think it's nice to grapple with the issues because there's no clear cut, you know, answer. But obviously, for Fetterman, it is clear because the politics of this are real. Because steel is so, steel is so big in in Pennsylvania. It's like no. And by the way, they, the uh, this the, the owners of U.S. Steel did not consult with the union, and I, I think there was some requirement there that, where they should have, um, or at least Fetterman, they would have liked that to happen. And so he's coming down. The union doesn't like it, so he doesn't like it either. And um, yeah, but I, I'm I, again, I'm I'm torn as well as you are. So, so what what do we make of this? So Fetterman used to describe himself, Sean, as a progressive, and then recently he said, "I'm not a progressive." I, I think it was your wife that said this, but I feel like it was a conversation with the three of us all included, and I think it was on air, where she she quoted you to you, 
um, where I think she said, you, uh, you run the race that you're in. Is that how you explain him describing himself as a progressive before? When he's a Democratic primary, he called himself a progressive. And now that he's a senator and he's in, what, the first year or two of a six-year term, he doesn't need that label anymore? That's a really good question. So did he have to call himself a progressive to actually win the primary? Um, and the, the, actually that, that could be true. Um, but uh, he was the, what the Lieutenant governor as well before he was the mayor. And so, uh, he was never, he was never the top guy. And so we never, unless, you know, we look back to the mayor's position, but you know, will mayors, you know, don't really, you know, have an opportunity to lean that far left or that far right there. There are some, you know, and, and if they're going to be a sanctuary city or, um, you know, what they're doing with, um, you know, works projects, but I mean, I think that's that 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 could be a good example of. I have to call myself a progressive. I have to win the primary. But still, he didn't he didn't really refute that during the campaign. And maybe you could say did the general uh, campaign against Mehmet Ast. Right. You could say, well, that would have been the perfect time to come and go. Hey, listen, I'm not a progressive. Um, I'm a common sense Democrat. He never did that. Now he is true. Right during the primary, he had he had the stroke, and so maybe he didn't have the wherewithal to to to, to make that pivot because. You know, he's just trying to, you know, get his message out and it was challenging for him. But, um, you know, maybe once he get to the Senate, too, and it's a big job, right? There, there's, there's only 100, only 100 senators and you're you're grappling with the big issues of the day and you really get a gut check. It's one thing to sit back like we are on a podcast and talk about issues and mm-hmm. dissect them. It's something else to actually have the voting card or the voting thumb in the Senate. And to sit and look at what is what is the best thing for my country, uh, and I'm looking at Pennsylvania as well as a senator, but it's also Pennsylvania and America. And I think things happen then where it's easy to comment or easy to throw ideas out when you're running. However, when you actually have the responsibility of a vote, and you think about your kids and your family and your community, th- those things do change. So I don't know what it was with him. Did you know? Was it that he was n- never a progressive, or was it that? You know, as he's been in the Senate, and by the way, also, uh, Will, you never have better information than you do when you're in the Congress. Um, I, w- when I was a candidate, I thought I had a lot of good information. You get, you get, you get all the information that you could ever want, and it's the right information um, when you're in Congress. And maybe the fact is he's he's getting different briefings, different information, different staffers yeah. that is making him think a different way about the issues that he's confronted with. It's kind of I'm kind of wild. And I think you're absolutely right, by the way. We're in the information age and we're all like awash in information. But yet it's still the most valuable resource. Um, Good information. Hey, um, last thing. I think there's going to be he's still going to surprise us to the left. I think Mm -hmm. he's still going to show you at times. Oh, he is on the left. And I don't know what that is, Sean. Like, I'm sure he's on the left on abortion, but that should be one that should be absolutely zero surprise to anyone because it's a winning voting issue, what we're learning, um, to be pretty far left on abortion. And I, I'd be curious, Sean, where he would be on some of those culture issues like trans or race issues. Because here's why I, I, I wonder where he will surprise to the left. He has a, it's, it's a testament to the value, as opposed to a congressman, of being in for six years. You have very little pressure of the next race. And you can take positions that either A, you truly believe, or B, you just don't think that you'll lose on, right? And, right. and as you point out, Pennsylvania's purple. So he's not running again for another, what is it going to be, five years, four years, five years? He doesn't have to worry about it for a while. 
and he's in a purple state and he might as well pivot to win elections in the long term. And even if he misses one or two, it's not going to hurt him by the time he gets there. So I actually can't think of the issue where he will surprise us to the left right now. Like if he is this calculated and and he's like, I'm going to win in Pennsylvania, he's not going to surprise us on trans issues. That's not a winner, a real winner in a purple state. I don't know. I just think this is something about the length of his term and where he could surprise us on issues. You make a really good point. And, and, and people's memories are short. So even in Congress, you have a four, you have a two year term. The first you know, six months, uh, you start taking votes and you think that that's going to be on the ballot a year and a half later. And it never is. You, you can take votes in the first six months that you might want to take. You may not want to take in the last six months when you're up for election. Because people kind of, there's some grace and they kind of forget and there's more relevant issues that come into play, you know, the, the, the six, four months before an election. Uh, Fetterman is five years away. So this is not an elect, electoral play. No one's going to remember these, you know, these votes, um, you know, five years from now. They, but, but you know what? They may, they may remember that he didn't stand up and fight for for U.S. steel. They might remember that he didn't stand mm-hmm. up for the steel industry and the union um, there is still is, is still pretty big and still pr- pretty powerful in, uh, in, in Pennsylvania. But he is going to surprise us. Uh, he's, he's, he's not a moderate. Um, even go to, to Joe Manchin when he was, you know, I'm not going to vote for Build Back Better when it was called Build Back Better. Um, and eventually he came around to vote for the Inflation Reduction Act, which had nothing to do with inflation. It was all about this green energy stuff that actually Manchin, we thought, was opposed to. But in the end, he's the one that orchestrated the deal with the White House and gave us this massive, you know, green energy bill, green funding, massive debt, which has helped lead to more inflation. I, I, before that vote, I thought he was kind of the savior to kill, uh, to kill Joe Biden's bill back better. And he didn't. He got mm-hmm. right back on page and got in bed with his Democrat friends and allies. Really bad bill. Um, now he's not running for re-election. Maybe that's a consequence of a bill like that. Uh, so I, I, again, I think we're going to have a, a few surprises where he comes out and says some common sense things, Fetterman. But by and large, he'll be a reliable vote for Chuck Schumer in the Senate, a reliable Democrat. And um, you know, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I think we can, we can do this a year from now, Will, and we could. We'll, we'll, the list will be long of the stuff we're annoyed at. Fetterman on because uh, again he's, a, right. he's still a lefty. Right now, though, he's an interesting lefty. Yeah, he is. As are you, Sean Duffy. <laughs> I wish you a Merry Christmas, man. Thank you for breaking you're, that down with us. Did you say I'm an interesting lefty? No, just, just interesting. an interesting guy. I didn't call I you lefty. That. Thanks just for the clarification. <laughs> Will, I want to wish you a Merry Christmas as well in Texas. There's no snow there. We don't have snow here either. But uh, getting back, I know you're working this weekend. Have fun with your family. Um, enjoy. And uh, we'll see you probably after the first of the year. All right. See you in 2024. Merry Christmas. Later. There you go. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Sean Duffy. Check him out on the bottom line or check out his podcast with Rachel Campos Duffy from the kitchen table right here at Fox News Podcasts. Story number three. Reconciliation is as American as apple pie. The Biden administration, the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, as part of a movement after the national reckoning of race following the death of George Floyd, has committed to taking down all Confederate monuments across this country, renaming bases and institutions and 
installations named after anyone associated with the Confederacy. Well, there is a memorial at Arlington National Cemetery to Confederate soldiers, but it's called the Reconciliation Monument, and it's been targeted by the Biden administration for removal. That's been held up by a Trump-appointed judge, Judge Rossi Alston, who happens to be black for the time being. But it's important to understand what this monument, what this memorial represents at Arlington National Cemetery. It represents not a celebration of the Confederacy, but the ability after a civil war for a nation to reconcile. It is showing how you heal a wound. But Black Lives Matter and anti-racism and the movement that took over the nation after the death of George Floyd looks not for reconciliation. We've talked about it here. It's a movement about revenge. As we've talked about, it's not about equality. It's about equity. It's not about doing away with discrimination. It's about reverse discrimination. Again, not about reconciliation, about revenge. You can see that in every policy, in every action. We've talked about the mayor of Boston, Michelle Wu, putting on a party in the administration for people of color. What that means or who that means, it seems to be anybody but people who are white. And white members were specifically disinvited, not included to this party. We talked about that with Jonathan Turley. I think it's it's unconstitutional to do so. But what's the point of that? Under the fancy flowery language of, you know, safe spaces or something like that, or spaces for affinity groups, we're really just reinstituting segregation. We're looking to subject white men largely to discrimination in the name of anti-racism. That's why this is so clearly and on its face, not about reconciliation, but revenge. So it should come as no surprise that something like the Reconciliation Monument would be targeted. This is the purpose of this movement. But there's far too many people in the country walking around thinking this is about sympathy or sensitivity or empathy. It's not. And the sooner that you wake up, the less painful it will be when this all comes all too painfully obvious. When something like the Civil War happens, when we've gone through something like slavery, we do need the opportunity to come together as Americans. It is ultimately one of the hallmarks of Christianity. Forgiveness. Reconciliation. Not harboring anger. Not looking back on life with regret. Not erasing your past, but forgiving what's happened and bringing people back together. This had to happen, by the way. To his credit, Abraham Lincoln wanted to bring this country back together. And by the way, that was at a time when the nation state was very new, happening all across Europe and Italy and Germany. We were colonies. We were separate states. Now, politically, whether or not we should have remained fractured and have nothing to do with slavery, but whether or not we wanted a strong central government versus a fractured colonies, I think is an interesting question to this day, is I believe in regionalism and small communities. But Lincoln believed in one nation state, and he believed in bringing a people together. And he believed in order to do that, we had to have forgiveness and reconciliation in our heart, and perhaps in our memory, thus the monument. Everything that followed, a monument to reconciliation. And I think it says a lot about a movement if they want to do away with that concept, reconciliation. 
By the way, the monument was put together by Moses Ezekiel, a Confederate Jewish soldier who was anti-slavery and a good friend of Thomas Jefferson's grandnephew, Thomas G. Jefferson. He is literally buried at its base. Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin has said he'll move it if it has to be moved to the Shenandoah Valley. But we need a society that isn't one that is constantly moving towards division. We need a society that is moving towards exactly what is represented by this monument. Reconciliation. It's core to Christianity, and it's American as apple pie. All right, that's going to do it for me today here on the Will Kane podcast. We'll have new content, some top five lists, New Year's resolutions, past and future, in future episodes of the Will Kane podcast. See you next time. Listen ad free with a Fox News podcast plus subscription on Apple Podcast and. Amazon Prime members, you can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.